coming up, ugly jewelry, nautical tomfoolery, and powerful nudity. Plus, another journey to the breaking point. Ask Aunt Goaty, and Chef Al has a story about drugs. Also, who is X's ultimate man crush? The answer may shock you. This is it. It's the final movie you watch in hell on this special Halloween episode of Kiss the Goat. Let's consider the horror movies that delve into the supernatural realm with a particular focus on demonic activity. X, and this is Kiss, Kiss the, the goat. goat. Light a candle for the sinners, set the world on fire. Find someone who looks at you the way Sloth looks at a baby Ruth, the way Dwayne Johnson looks at himself, or the way that Guy Fieri looks at a greasy triple cheeseburger covered with queso and canned chili. Love is the answer. Love is all you need. Love is when you haven't scored any points in a tennis game. The circle is closed and no one may enter or exit without the express written permission of Julie Newmar. This is episode 49 of Kiss the Goat and welcome to it. Holy shit, you guys. We finally (laughs) made it. The final circle of hell. Our historic journey through the cinematic underworld is almost complete. We we didn't watch Underworld. Why didn't we watch Underworld? Well, those are love stories, too. Especially the third one. Well, yeah, but there's also vampires and lichens and Kate Beckinsale in a latex jumpsuit with guns and swords and blood. All kinds of cool shit. All right, so we'll watch the Underworld movies next time. (laughs) What next time? Fuck a next time. You tried to kill me with these movies. That is not happening again. All right, we'll see where we're at next year, and then we'll decide. No, 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 no. I... I will decide. You had your chance. You keep your happy ass out of it. Oh, get hot. You can pick next time. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to start planning now. I'm going to be thinking about that while we go into our first break. Are you serious? Oh, honey. I'm so serious. I'm going to fill up a fucking notebook with ideas for next October. Hello, this is the Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. (laughs) The truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. That's gotta go. (laughs) That's gotta go in there. So on the show, uh, we talk about giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I am Brad, the guy that's not Richard, or Jeffrey, or Simon. 
That's right, we have four people, and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? <laughs> we got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow. How about this? Movies with Meg Ryan <sighs> and Nicole Kidman. Yeah. After their plastic surgery. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> That's just sick. Hey, now, I'm not sick. The people that Aaron Sunday talks about are sick. Here comes the breaking point. I think it's time that we start talking about a divorce. I need a divorce. Here, sign these. I'm leaving. And I want a divorce. What, you're saying what, you want a divorce? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, maybe I do. Well, I'm gonna go then! And I don't need any of this! I don't need this stuff! And I don't need you! I don't need anything except this! And I tell you, that's the only thing I need is this! I just want to be left Hello. Are you asking me for a divorce? Yay! So let's talk travel. What's your least favorite way to travel? Flying. Walking. Walking. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> I retract my answer. <laughs> well, Mine is traveling by water. Um, I've always kind of hated being around water I couldn't stand in. It creeps me out. Um, When I was a kid, I would even feel faint going on a fishing boat. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's no way you'd be able to convince me to go on a cruise. Days and days of being around water. And most of that time, you can't see land? No. (laughs) Fuck that. Fuck that noise. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But apparently, I'm alone in feeling this way because it seems like everybody tries to get me to go on a cruise at some point. And thousands of people, you know, board ships every year. I mean, each cruise ship can hold thousands of people, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So... Aaron, I promise you that we will never try to take you on a cruise. Oh, see? Yeah, because we're... That's why we're friends. It's not on our list of things yeah. to do. No. You know, people go for vacations, honeymoons, anniversaries, indiscretions, or, you know, because they're retired and get bored with golf. <laughs> but people don't think about the possibility of being murdered while on a cruise. I mean, why should they, right? Mm-hmm. They shouldn't. Uh, I actually went to the Department of Transportation's website because I was curious and I'm a nerd like that. And uh, I looked at all of the reports they had, um, which were crimes reported to the FBI, but they separated each number into types of crime. 
and they even did it for each cruise line, which I thought was interesting. But I looked back as far as I could in their records and saw no homicide. The farthest back was 2010. So from January 1st, 2010 up to June, end of June, there was nothing, no recorded homicides. In July, that changed. July of this year? Yes. Hot damn. Uh, A guy named Kenneth Mazanares killed his wife, Christy, while they were on a week-long Alaskan cruise. They shocked everyone who knew them because they were pretty much, like, picture-perfect. She was a realtor. He was a sales producer at an insurance company. They were high school sweethearts. Uh, They lived in St. George, Utah, and they had three daughters. And their daughters ranged in age from 13 to 22. There was, like, no record. Both, neither one of them had a record. There was no record of anybody even coming out to the house. The only negative thing was that they had a some financial issues in the past and filed for bankruptcy in 2010. So that's it. <laughs> so why it happen? Let's back up before the murder. These lovebirds had been married for 18 years. And so they decided to celebrate their anniversary by taking the cruise with each other, their three daughters, and the extended family. So a huge trip. That was their first mistake. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. (laughs) Another reason why you'll never get me on a cruise ship. Too many people in a small space. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Me either. (laughs) So... The whole family boarded the ship, the Emerald Princess, July 23rd, so just a couple months ago, and they were going to travel along the Alaskan Panhandle. This ship held 3,400 passengers and 1,100 crew members, so that's a lot of people. And everything went well until two days later. At dinner, Kenneth became belligerent. They said um, one of the family friends who actually hadn't been on the boat, I imagine she heard about it, He, she said that he had been acting terrible all night. It's hard to keep track of the he's and she's. Um, according to her, Christy asked for a divorce later on in the evening, and he snapped and killed her. Damn. So from like a, I wasn't on the boat, but obviously all of the people who I know from the family have told me this one thing. Kind of that type of account, I guess. But Mm -hmm. uh, she was the only source that I could find that actually said, yeah, she asked for a divorce. But the FBI hasn't officially released any information specifically about her cause of death or what happened in the room leading up to her getting the fatal head wound. Most of the information I'm giving you has basically been first and second hand accounts. That's crazy to me because I didn't hear anything about this. I was just looking and it popped up out of nowhere. So I started researching and I was shocked. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about that either. Yeah, you would think that you would have heard about it. So basically, based on what I've been able to find, this is what we know about her murder. Christie's father and brother broke down the cabin door after hearing her screaming. Uh, They found her mortally wounded and Kenneth and the cabin covered in blood. Uh, Once the security guard got there, he immediately detained Kenneth 
and locked him in the next cabin. Um, the medical personnel arrived at 9.03 and Christy was pronounced dead about 20 minutes later. A family member saw Kenneth with bloodstained hands and clothes and asked him what happened and he just said she would not stop laughing at me. Yeesh. A witness ran into him while he was trying to throw Christie's body over the balcony. So the witness ended up grabbing Christie's ankles and she was basically in a tug of war with Kenneth. She was trying to pull Christie's body out of the room so he couldn't throw her over the balcony. Oh my god. Balconies on a fucking cruise ship? That is a really bad idea, if you ask me. The interesting thing is that while the argument that obviously they had had and the murder took place, there was a murder mystery dinner going on. Oh shit. That was, the, the idea of the show was murder on a cruise ship. <laughs> so the people who were there just thought the calls over the intercom and the loud sounds were part of the show. Oh. Um, one, one guy who was in there, he said, we just thought this was part of the dramatic effects they were using for the murder mystery. And then two more times they came on and asked for more security and medical teams. But again, it just fit in so well with the murder mystery because it was about a murder on a cruise ship. So really, <laughs> that night, I didn't think anything about it. That is fucked up. I it's bet they don't ever do that dinner show again. Right? That is fucked up. <laughs> Not for a long time, anyway. While they didn't think anything of it, the people surrounding, like in the area around the couple's cabin, they could hear loud screaming. A witness named Natalie, she said, all of them said that they were in there just screaming at each other like it was loud. Lots of people were out on their balconies watching and listening. You'd think, oh, somebody needs to go, like, try and see what's going on. But, you know, the classes I've taken, Psychology 101 type classes, you kind of find out that's the nature of people. They protect yeah. themselves, and so nobody comes out. So it's not surprising, but it's always alarming to hear stuff like that. Yeah. But the murder obviously ended up causing all sorts of chaos. Uh, the closest land at the time was Forrester Island in Alaska, which was about seven miles away. So the crew had to divert the path of the ship to Juneau and then lock it down so no one could leave and no one could enter, of course, because I imagine that was, they needed a larger city to pull up to, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so the FBI was called at 1013 because the murder occurred off the Alaskan coast. So it was technically out of their jurisdiction, more like our national area. They were contacted. They sent over a dozen agents to conduct an investigation with support from the Coast Guard. And they conducted about 200 interviews between passengers and crew members. So that's just nuts. Yeah, that's um, a lot of interviews. I want to share a couple of the witnesses accounts because uh, it's just interesting because it gives you a sense of the chaos because there's not a lot of information out there. One woman, Megan Moore, said people were running through the hall with blood all over them and trying to get to security. One guy was very worked up. He said, everyone, we need all medical security, all personnel to deck 9 and 14. That scared me because I'm on deck 14. Another person said one of the little girls from that room came out running, calling for help, that her parents had been in a fight. She sounded pretty desperate. Mm. 
Another person said, I get to floor nine, I see this little girl sitting on, I assume her grandma or somebody, sitting on her lap, wrapped up in a blanket, and she's just sobbing. A man came walking out from the hallway where it happened, and he had, like, a white tank top on. His jeans were completely covered in blood, and he came out saying, it's not good. It's not good. As I've read in other articles and stuff, that was the youngest daughter. And after the guy came out and said that, she just completely lost it. One witness ran into one of the children. She said, she was just really scared. She said, I just want to go see my mom. I want to see my mom. What's happening? Oh, wow. Yeah. Even though we don't know exactly how, I mean, obviously it was probably blunt force trauma or something. We don't know exactly how she died or any information about what happened to make that happen. It sounds like it was pretty gruesome, though. I mean, if there was that yes. much blood everywhere, he yeah. had to have had a knife or something. Or striking her over the head several times. Yeah. Uh, because I haven't even found anything that says anything to that effect. Like, was it him hitting her over the head? How many times? Weapon? Nothing. Like, mm -hmm. I couldn't find anything. Part of the reason why I imagine that's the case is because the trial hasn't even taken place yet. Mm -hmm. He was taken into custody the day after and charged with murder. Um, as he was being processed, he spurred out just randomly, my life is over. It's kind of like, why are you thinking about yourself right now? Right. So you think your life is over? I mean, Jesus. Yeah. You just took three girls' mom away from mm -hmm. them and, like, killed a woman. Mm -hmm. And you're worried about your life being over? Ugh. So he waived his right to a hearing. So he was set to appear before a grand jury August 10th. That changed to October 23rd. On September 18th, the judge agreed to declare the case complex and scheduled a trial for April 23rd of next year. Gosh. And his plea for first-degree murder? Not guilty. <sighs> okay. And from what I understand, ships aren't responsible for crimes committed while on board. Really? I mean, I'm sure huh. that changes if it was like an employee who did it. But Princess Cruises announced that they would issue $150 onboard credit to each passenger because of the inconvenience. How much? Did you say $15 credit? $150. $150, okay. Well, and we're going to give you $150 that you can only spend if you come on one of our cruise ships. <laughs> I know you were traumatized by this cruise, but if you come back... <laughs> So not only is it a shitty amount, but it's not even something that they can use. They have to spend a lot of money to go on another cruise to use that credit. <laughs> Maybe you'd enjoy our Orient Express cruise. So yeah, they had so many interviews and it was just messy and, you know, it there's so many different things going on that that's why the judge was like, okay, this is a complex case. On September 18th, they still hadn't gone through all the interviews and all this stuff. So if they were going to have a trial today, they wouldn't have been ready. They wouldn't even have all the evidence and all of the... Yeah. It's understandable. It just is sad, you know? It could be a lot worse, you know? Hopefully this doesn't go on for multiple years yeah. from now because 
a lot of crazy cases like this too. But I read something about how one cop was like, I can't even remember the last time we've had to respond to something on a cruise ship. Like yeah. it's nearly unheard of, which is good. The, well, yeah, I guess so. I start to say you hear about people getting like just really bad sick all the time, but you don't really hear about fucking murders on cruise ships. The only, the, what did the, let's see, theft, I think was the highest, and then sexual assault, okay. uh, which isn't all that surprising, you know? It, it would make sense that someone would steal, and of course, right. we know how high the statistics are for sexual assault, too. <laughs> and the thing was, nobody could say anything about how that was in his nature, that he was aggressive or they had problems. Like, apparently they just acted in love and happy. He seemed, from all accounts, a good guy who was level-headed and stuff. And then she, they described her as the light of their life, her whole family and people who she knew. One lady even said something like, she's just so damn nice. You know, she was just a great person. So it's a sad story because it really does sound like... Out of the blue. like Out of the blue and like he really did snap, but you can't feel all that bad for him. He did kill his wife. Yeah, exactly right. Oh yeah, there's no pity party going on here. No. But this is definitely something I'd, I'd like to keep up with this in the news because that's just yeah. very strange. I mean, you know, cruise ships are, they are floating cities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of different kinds of people on, on those boats. And I think maybe, like you were saying earlier, like, you can't see land. I mean, there's a lot going on on the boat, but you can still get, like, a weird sense of isolation. Mm -hmm. So maybe he was just like, well, fuck it. No one's going to know if I do this. I'm on a boat, motherfucker. <laughs> but, you know, obviously they found well, out. Well, another thing is, why would he do it in a place where... Their extended families were there. The daughters were there. Why would you do that? You wouldn't yeah. think about it ahead of time. I mean, if you did, you wouldn't do that. Because <laughs> that's just, right. that's incredibly stupid. And I mean, it's kind of stupid to try and kill anybody on a cruise ship unless I just feel like there's only so many people they can go through <laughs> before they <laughs> find you. <laughs> right. But There is only so much space. Yeah, so... To me, it would be stupid anyway, but definitely if you're bringing your whole family, yeah, it just seems ridiculous. So it, like it wasn't premeditated. Like this was yeah, just, yeah. Like, he snapped. You know, she said the wrong thing. They'd probably be had been, you know, fighting behind closed doors or whatever, and something probably pissed him off since he got all like difficult and was treating her poorly and stuff. Yeah. She might have gotten tired of it. Maybe it was a growing thing and they just kept it really private. Mm -hmm. Because I I don't remember the source and I don't remember uh, the witness to this, but apparently someone heard the daughter go, I knew he would do something like this and just really upset and angry. But I would have to find the source and actually, yeah. you know, to be like, oh yeah, that definitely happened. You know, there could have been something there that the family doesn't want anybody to know. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Because they want to protect Christy, and they don't care if that means that they have to spare him. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it was, if if it is true, 
and I'm saying if it is true that this was a situation where he was trying to make a point yeah. or make a stand and all she did was laugh at him you know oh yeah I've seen I've seen Carrie you snap that shit yeah. like that yeah I, I feel though if she was laughing emphatically <laughs> you know like if she was laughing to the point where someone was upset with you that they would go that far off the deep end you would think other people would hear her because they could hear them arguing and then they could hear them yelling mm -hmm. so if they could hear them arguing then they could have probably heard her laughing that's why i'm like maybe that was just a stupid excuse on his part to try and justify what he did maybe so well murdering your wife on a cruise ship is not the smartest action either so <laughs> no yeah. No, there's just so many questions, you know, and this hasn't, you know, it's still, what, three months after it happened? So there's nothing out there to speculate, you know, you can't look up experts' opinions and things. Yeah. Nobody's studied him yet. I think it's cool because a GoFundMe page was set up to try and help raise money to get her home because she, you know, she was stuck in Alaska and you have to have special permits and money to be able to transport a body. Oh, yeah. So to raise money for that and to help raise money for the girls because now their dad's going to at least spend life in prison. So even though he's only allegedly killed her. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get that out there <laughs> right. real plain. Allegedly killed her. I was yes. doing air quotes. <laughs> Wink! <laughs> And there's so many different ways this could have gone, and, I, you know, he may not even ever tell anybody what really happened. That's something we'll have to uh, keep up with, and maybe maybe next year we can revisit that and see what um, finally happened. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. So, <sighs> did not end well. Out of all the cruises, this one had a sad ending. <laughs> I have a, a feeling sad. a lot of cruises have sad endings, but. <laughs> or regretful. Yeah. Endings. At least that. Well, didn't sound like an episode of The Love Boat, that's for sure. No, sure. Well, thanks, Chica, yeah, for once awesome. again bringing us a, a little a little taste of the, the madness of uh, <laughs> relationships and how they can go horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah, I feel like the Grim Reaper's cousin or something because my only job is to bring death to you all <laughs> and you do it so well and that but that looks so good on a resume does it sure i would think so yeah yeah what did you do in your last position i brought death to the village well let's hope nobody can get away with that in like an interview as a counselor at a school oh, <laughs> yeah Indeed. Put your life jackets on. We'll be back in just a few seconds with the final movie you watch in hell. Hey, Cherish. It's 8 o'clock. Is it time to get the show on the screen or what? Do you enjoy watching films with friends? Do you like to consume vats of alcohol? It's the 40s and some bitches, baby. Yeah. Me? I like beer. If you like all that and none of those artsy-fartsy films... Does this mean we don't get to go to the Fellini Festival? Fuck the Fellini Festival? <laughs> Then watch and listen to Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. Every Wednesday, myself and a rotating panel of the filthiest podcasters I can muster up give you our comments, observations, and sometimes we might actually talk about the film 
as we class up some of your favorite films. The only way we know how, as raunchy as we can. <laughs> What's this movie, PG? Oh, yeah. This podcast sure is fucking... Not only do you get the audio, but the video that goes with it. Just listen to the shit that comes out of these filthy pirates. <laughs> you don't need to get an erection when your cock's full of rigor mortis. <laughs> fucking curb stomp a baby for a bacon <laughs> I think the moral of the story is don't let Corky run Cerebro. Unforgivable. If you could stand all that, come and get your fill and your fix of Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. All the cool kids are doing it. Two Drink Minimum Commentaries is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Welcome back to Kiss the Goat. It is the third highest grossing movie in American history. It is the second highest grossing film in international markets. It is the second highest grossing movie of all time, bringing in a total of $2,207,615,688. It's popular. It is adored. And it is the final movie you watch in hell. Guard your loins, kids. Here comes the trailer. Seeing her coming out of the darkness like a ghost ship. Still gets me every time. Take a look at this drawing that we found just today. A piece of paper that's been underwater for 85 years. I'll be damned. All right, you have my attention. Can you tell us who the woman in the picture is? Oh, yes. The woman in the picture is me. Louis XVI wore a stone called the Blue Diamond of the Crown. And today it would be worth more than the Hope Diamond. If your grandmother's who she says she is, she was wearing the diamond the night the ship sank. You really think she was there? Oh, yeah. I'm a believer. Are you ready to go back to Titanic? in history you act as if you're going to your execution I oh, forget it boyle you'll never get next to the likes of her in my pocket. I have nothing to offer you, and I know how the world works. I'm flying! What made you think you could put your hands on my fiance? They've got you trapped, Rose, and if you don't break free, you're gonna die. It's a ship. There's only so many places she can be. Find her. Don't you believe it, Rose? Rose! Don't you understand? The water is freezing and there aren't enough boats. Half the people on the ship are going to die. Not the better half. Do 
we doing, Mommy? When I finish putting first-class people on the boats, they'll be starting with us. Lower the wave! Why are the boats being launched half full? For God's sake, there's women and children down here! Let us out so we can have a chance! Where is you going? What to him? From 1997, James Cameron's Titanic. Or as we like to call it, James fucking Cameron's goddamn piece of floating shit Titanic. And that's if we're feeling generous. <laughs> With the possible exception of the accidental replaying of the Civil War we went through this past month, Titanic embodies and encapsulates everything that we hate about chick flicks. Now, there may not be a North-South thing going on, but there's definitely class warfare, a terrible love story, uh, death upon death upon death, and even worse, it's based on an actual historical event. Yeah. So, as you can imagine, we have a lot to say about this movie. Why don't you guys grab a drink, get comfy. Titanic, the movie, not the boat. Here are at least ten things we hate about you. Hey, you, you want to see something really scary? You bet. Really? Yeah. Okay, this is, this is really, really scary now. Well, there's nowhere to start here but at the beginning. <laughs> so, do you want to kick this one off? Boy, do I. Now, you should know, right offhand, this is not a movie that I have a grudge against. No one made me watch it. I don't associate it with an X or anything like that. I just hate it. <laughs> and that's a decision I made based on the movie itself, not my personal situation at the time. But I feel like this brings about a hatred that's more pure maybe more vicious than I harbor for most movies, even Steel Magnolias. That is an impressive amount of hate. <laughs> well, we're just getting started. First of all, I just want to say one thing. Y'all know the whole Rose and Jack stories bullshit, right? Total bullshit. They weren't real people. <laughs> um, you're not watching like some true love story here. You're watching some kind of weird... Uh, consolidation of characters or real people but yeah rose and jack that's complete and utter bullshit it's a dramatization that's what i'm looking for dramatization means bullshit yeah, that's, that's exactly the definition look that shit up there it is in the dictionary <laughs> it just will so, score you higher points in scramble <laughs> so we start off um by exploring the actual Titanic. Now, we all know James Cameron loves to do underwater stuff. He likes to go exploring wrecks. He likes to dive. He likes to 
finance, you know, little submersible machines that go down with cameras and look at shipwrecks. So that's what we get for about the first, what, 10, 15 minutes of this yeah, movie? Yeah, this movie, literally, if you've never seen a James Cameron flick and you're like, I wonder just what what is this guy's style? This is quintessential. Like, it, it reeks of Cameron from the very first second to the very end of the movie. So we get a lot of underwater stuff with, you know, cool little machines and submarines. Just for a second, those little submarines, they, they looked like the keychain at the beginning of Saw, so that made me happy. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. Anyway, we get all this underwater shit, just, oh, make this little thing go in there. Oh, that's the stateroom. Oh, there's the safe. And really, this is the same as watching Jim Cameron masturbate. Because this is all just wankery. I don't know. It feels like it goes on, like, way too long. And you're it, just when you're at the point where you're like, the fuck are they? Are they going to make a point? What's going on here? Then something finally fucking happens. It's like 15 minutes of just underwater exploration with cameras. And that's it. It's like Jacques Cousteau outtakes. Yeah, like the really boring part. I mean, we couldn't get a sequel to The Abyss, which is another Jim Cameron film. We couldn't get a sequel to Orca. But we got this? We got this. What the fuck is wrong with this world? Well. Uh, that's a loaded question. I've realized that. <laughs> it is good to see Bill Paxton in this movie, God's rest him. It's just shitty to see him in this movie. You know, some other movie would have been a lot better. Uh, yeah. It was a shitty role, though. It was so beneath him. Yeah, he's just, he's the framing device. He's the guy who's looking for yeah. a diamond called the Heart of the Ocean. And, uh, Blankery. So they pull up this treasure box, and it's full of muddy papers, no diamonds, but they do find a drawing of Kate Winslet naked as a jaybird. And she is wearing the necklace that the boat people are looking for. Now, I... I'm sure there's science to this, how exactly you restore a charcoal drawing from being 30,000 feet under the ocean, but I don't know. I guess you can do it. I didn't buy it in this movie because all they did was hose it off. <laughs> That's all they did. They just put it in yeah. more water and, <laughs> and hosed it off. <laughs> I don't, you know, I maybe they just had different paper back then. And I don't know. Fucking magic paper? Magic paper, I guess. Magic paper that resists water, time, and erosion. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> now we cut to some old woman who's watching the TV, and she's seeing the live report from the research vessel that's trying to find everything on the Titanic. And she's like, well, fuck, that, that drawing is of me. And if that's the case, well, holy hell, Grandma's hot. Yeah, right. <laughs> So they fly her out to the middle of the goddamn Bermuda Triangle, wherever the fuck they are. Actually, they're probably off the coast of Nova Scotia, to be completely honest. And that's where the story gets even more boring, because we get to hear all about Rose and her experience on the boat. It's really funny to me that she makes a phone call and gets this dude on the phone. Like, how the fuck do you even start to figure out who to call to be like, hey, that's me? Like, <laughs> uh. he's not going to be in the fucking phone book. <laughs> Operator, could you please patch me through to that boat I just saw on television? Yeah, exactly. It was on Channel 9 at 11. Oh, well, of course. We can do that for you. Right. So, I don't know. But somehow, she makes a phone call and gets to talk to Bill Paxton, the you know who's leading this expedition. And he 
flies her and her fucking granddaughter out to the boat to tell them the story. Like, okay. Now, we do get an awesome animation of how the Titanic sank. That's cool. I kind of like that. I wish the whole movie had just been that. Show me how the boat sank. Show me what really happened. And I'm cool with that. I would have been much happier if this had been a documentary. But instead... They make the mistake of asking the old woman what it was like when the boat sank. Why would you? Why? Because I guess you want. Because you know you're gonna you're gonna be there all goddamn day. Three hours of storytelling. So we go into the magical world of bullshit flashbacks and a, a crying old woman and some of the hottest emotional ma- manipulation ever captured on film. So now suddenly it's 1912. People are bored and shit. They're, lo- they're, they're loading everything on the Titanic, and everybody on this boat looks like the Ponzi Sharer from Tombstone. <laughs> Accurate. David Warner's here. He's bossing people around like a Cardassian, but also here, thank fuck. It's the only thing worth watching about this movie. That's Billy Zane. He is beautiful, and he is half crazy. He is. He's also a piece of shit of a human being in this movie. He is fantastic (laughs) in this movie. Now, he's got his whole entourage with him. He's got his fiancée. He's got his fiancée's mother. He's got David Warner, who I guess is like his... I don't know if he's like a butler or just his professional, personal assassin, but he's... his personal, professional assassin slash knob polisher, because that's what he does through this whole movie. That's true. Now they're heading back to America. Rose doesn't want to go back to America. She doesn't want to get married. She's a poor little rich girl. But what we do get to see next is Jack. It's Leo DiCaprio. And he looks like he's... He looks younger in this than he did in fucking Critters 3. He looks like he's fucking 12 years old in this movie. I shit you not. He's a gambler and a rogue. And he actually says, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. I'm pretty sure Bob Seger said that at one point, too. Anyway, so does Jack. So Jack and his Italian buddy, Fabrizio, who was more Italian than, I don't know, real Italians. And probably the only person I liked in the entire film (laughs) was Fabrizio, who had like, you know, three lines in the whole fucking movie. Yeah, and his lines are just like horrible, like stereotypical. Like, hey, Jack, I'm going to go to America. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fun cool. Just, uh, <laughs> it's just shit that would make Donnie Rings cringe. That's all there is to it. So, yeah, it's like, it's, it's like watching trying to, when they get on the boat, they win passes in a card game. They win boarding passes. It's really just like watching a shitty remake of The Godfather Part 2. And then guess what we get? My favorite thing in, in, in everything ever. <laughs> Your favorite thing in everything ever. We get a fucking voiceover. Yeah. You know what? If you can't tell your story with the people who are on screen, you can't tell your story. You need to rethink shit. You need to fuck off and do cartoons or something. I don't know. But we do get to be Kathy Bates, and she plays, she she plays Molly Brown, and you might know her as the unsinkable Molly Brown, and you may have seen that other movie about her called The Unsinkable Molly Brown, which is based on a Broadway musical called The Unsinkable Molly Brown. You might be wishing you were watching that movie instead of this one. I was. 
skip. Also, hey, here's a good kind of like a myth about this movie. Hey, did you think Leo said, I'm king of the world while he was up about the ship with Rose? <laughs> nope. He is with Fabrizio. I think there's more. <laughs> now, one reason I love Billy Zane in this movie is because he is, well, he is an overbearing asshole. That's true. But at least he's got a personality and not just an accent. And that's really what Titanic feeds off of. You give somebody a thick enough accent so that even the dumbest motherfucker in the audience can figure out where they're from or at least get an approximation of it, that's their character. Mm. So Rose is all upset because she says her life is, and I quote, an endless party, and I'm sorry, an endless parade of parties and cotillions. Oh, the plight of the rich woman wanting to kill herself because of the endless parties. Fuck you. Trapped in all that richness, who the fuck has ever thought to themselves, God damn, I wish I was poor. How I wish I had to struggle to pay all my bills. Take all these new things away from me and give me some old shit. I'm gonna jump off this fucking boat because of my very richness. Nobody who's ever been poor has thought that. She has the fucking gall to think about suicide because she is a self-centered rotten cunt. Hell, she could marry crazy Billy Zane for a month, then divorce him and take him to the cleaners. She'd be rich and alone. She doesn't deserve to have red hair. <laughs> so she stands on the back of the boat. I'm going to jump. I'm going to do it. I'm really going to do it. And Jack talks her out of jumping, and that's a goddamn shame. Ugh. And she yells at him for even making the attempt. And he tells her about that time that he fell through thin ice when he was fishing with his, I don't know, his 14th foster father or some bullshit. So he has experience with cold water. Well, that's good, because he's going to need that later on. Now, Jack and Rose get caught, basically by, by Billy Zane, and they make up some bullshit excuse, because, you know, she doesn't want to tell Billy Zane that she tried to jump off the boat, but she really shouldn't have been with this other dude. But when Billy goes off on Leo for touching his woman, his eyes are all twitchy, <laughs> and his mi his micro-expressions are micro-aggressions. And you know what? Billy Zane is our greatest living American actor. <laughs> Hell, he's the one that gives her that big, ugly-ass, ostentatious diamond. If it weren't for him, we wouldn't have this annoying subplot, would we? Oh, boy. Jack and Rose argue, and it's supposed to be cute, but it just makes me hate her more and more, because when she finds out that he's an artist, suddenly she's all over him. It's just like, you're a dick, you're a dick, you're a dick. Oh, do you play guitar? <laughs> well, hey, you know, that works for some of us. <laughs> you should come to my party. <laughs> also, there's... there's <laughs> Jack, Jack actually says that he had an affair with a one-legged prostitute's hands. He did. How did that line not get cut? Because that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it doesn't mean what I, what, I, what I say it means or what I infer that it means, but still, that's fucking, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> so all the scenes with Jack and Rose and their relationship just feel like a long-form video for common people by pulp 
Like, where the hell is Jarvis Cocker when you need him? He needs to be in this fucking movie. Also, there's this weird scene where Jack has to teach Rose how to spit. I... Yeah. I have a I have a hard time believing that Jack had to teach Rose how to spit. <laughs> Swallow maybe, but not spit. Oh my god. She's a proper lady before before meeting Jack though, she was a proper lady. Okay. Finishing she? school and everything. I don't th- I don't think she wanted to be that. I think Jack kind of unleashed I don't know. In the movie, they would say, oh, you've helped me rediscover my free spirit. You know, in real life, it's just, she's like, oh, I like a lot of shit I forgot I liked. Yep. <laughs> like spit. <laughs> and who hasn't been there? I mean, really. Anyway, Rose's family and Crazy Billy Zane invite Jack to dinner up in the first class cabin. Because, you know... Jack and all his people are down in steerage. They're down at the bottom of the boat. Nobody gives a shit about them. So to be invited up to first class center, that's just that's a wonderful thing because you've ascended past your your role in the caste system. There's no long, you know, you're upper class. Now, so at this dinner scene, Jack kind of lays out his wisdom and the things he's learned in life and the rich people just eat that shit up. They do. I mean, this may as well be down and out in Beverly Hills. Let's ask the guy who lives in the dumpster what we should do with our gay child. Okay, well, fuck, he was right. <laughs> but Jack's like, no, we need to go to a real party. So he takes Rose um, down to hang out with those wacky immigrants down in steerage. Funny enough, the music that they're playing at this party is the only thing that moved me in this entire fucking film. The music's great. The music's great. But beyond that, you've got Irish dancing and dark beer and Russian hats and small children, and it's practically an orgy, and she loves it. Who wouldn't? Because it's the stereotypes annual convention at the bottom of the goddamn Titanic. Look at all the suspenders and shit. Man, when Billy Zane finds out that Rose has had fun down below decks, shit hits the fan. And then he hits her. Does he actually hit her? I know he knocked her off the table. And he threw some coffee. Oh yeah, he doesn't hit her until later. Right. But he's scared well, he's her. he's physically imposing because he is Billy Zane. And a fucking lunatic, and it's yes. showing. As soon as she starts acting like, you know, an individual who, you know, kind of has her own ideas, he loses his shit. And he is the most believable character in the entire fucking movie. Yeah, I don't disagree. Then we find out that Rose's mother is marrying her off to Billy Zane because his family's rich and mother's got debts. So, really, here's your one chance, Fancy. Don't let me down. Yeah, I hate Rose, but I hate her mother even more. I hate them all, except for Billy Zane. (laughs) David Warner, as an officious little prick, is always best David Warner, and he tries as hard as he can to keep Jack away from Rose. Tries to pay him off. Tries to threatens him with a with a pistol. None of that works. One thing that you notice when you when you're looking at Jack dealing with the rich people and then the people down in steerage is that all the rich people wear nicer hats than the poor people, and that's really how you can tell them apart. <laughs> if you have an intimate knowledge of hats, 
then you know who's who. You can... Yes, you know exactly who's who. Right on. Now, Rose is a clever girl. She realizes there aren't enough lifeboats. You know, because she's clever, this is also really awkward foreshadowing her, like, just standing on the deck of, one, two, three, this doesn't seem right. Uh -huh. well, no, it's not. Rose tries to dump Jack, and it's incredibly unconvincing. Mm -hmm. So you have to wonder to yourself, is it really love, or does she just want some strange from the wrong side of the deck? I wouldn't blame her for that. I might respect her more for that. Yep. You think? Just like just like a one or two off on, on the boat, and then, you know, everybody splits up, just yeah. goes their separate ways. But only if she beat the shit out of Billy Zane first. That is not possible. No one can beat the shit out of Billy Zane. I could. <laughs> so the most... not Maybe not the most, but this insidious thing that happens... As Jack and Rose's courtship uh, develops, you start to hear the theme song kind of weave its way into the soundtrack. And I gotta tell you, as soon as I hear that goddamn penny whistle on the soundtrack, my asshole clenches, <laughs> my arm shakes, it is the shittiest fake Irish pseudo Enya fucking song ever written. I would rather hear Fat Bastard sing The Long Black Veil than ever hear that song again. Oh. I'm sorry, was, right. that, was, was that a strong statement? Uh, no. Nah. Go with it, man. Go with, the, go with the feeling. And here's a question. Here's a thing I hate. Why is the bow of the boat always remarkably empty of people? <laughs> I noticed that, too. Like, everybody's just like, I don't know, maybe they're all at the bar. Well, it is, you know, they're fucking cold, so... There's 5,000 people on that fucking boat. <laughs> it's not 5,000. And nobody thinks, I want to go up and look at, look, look at the ocean from the bow of the ship. Except for Jack and Rose. Nobody else thinks that, because they've always got the place in themselves. Stand up, pretend you're flying, lift your skirt up. I mean, and nobody sees it, because nobody gives a shit, nobody's there. It's so weird. Yeah. And that's when we get the, uh... <sighs> Mm-hmm. Now, they've known each other, what do you figure, two days now? Three days? Mm-hmm, at the most. You know, it took me practically my whole life to find a woman who would let me take pictures of her naked. <laughs> this motherfucker knows a chick for two days, and she's stripping so he can sketch her. Yep. You know how long a sketch takes? <laughs> Less time than a snapshot in the bathroom of the shell station, I'll tell you that much. I also wonder uh, precisely how this works into Cameron's personal viewpoint about strong women in his movies. Because Rose is certainly no rip for Sarah Connor. So I guess the way that he makes Rose, I don't know, strong, because that's how he's about. He's like, I gotta make strong but feminine women. I guess just by having her take her clothes off? I guess. It was interesting to me that she chose to put on the necklace that her fiancé gave to her as a gift. Well, that's a huge, yeah, that's a huge thing for me, yeah. But, you know, she's an independent woman. She does what she wants. She's got ghost nipples. I do what I want. <laughs> also, Billy Zane has the finest eyebrows I've ever seen on a man. 
it. That's counting. <laughs> so David Warner catches Jack and Rose together, and he chases them through the ship like a British Terminator. And really, what's the worst that could happen to these kids? Is he going to shoot Leo and heave him over the side of the ship? Probably not. So Jack and Rose end up in the cargo hold. And guess what's in the cargo hold? It's a car. Makes sense. That's how you get cars overseas. That's fine. So there's a car in there. It's like a Model T or some I don't know cars. I'd be a Stutz, a Stutz Bearcat. It's an old car. It's an old car. So even though they're on the biggest ship in the world, they still end up doing it in the back of the car. <laughs> yep. Ain't that America? You and me. But here's the bald truth about this movie: is you're not here for history. You're not here for Jack and Rose. Hell, you're not even you're not even here for Billy Zane and all his glory. You are here to watch these motherfuckers die. You want to see this boat sink. You want to see these people drown. And goddamn it, how is that any different from a horror movie? This is a horror movie disguised as a chick flick, just like all chick flicks are horror movies at their deepest darkest hearts like I said in the first episode of this month and just because the characters are better developed these aren't just teenage camp counselors these aren't lambs to the slaughter you know these are people you like and they are going to die iceberg everybody knows it iceberg dead ahead and you fucking knew it before you sat down to watch this movie and even if it isn't a bloodbath like a like a Fulci movie there's still a lot of people here drowning all the happy immigrants heading to America from the beginning of the movie Fuck like Chuck. Yep. That cute little girl dancing with Leo at the stereotype convention, face down, frozen in the sea. Fucking deal with it, because that's what you wanted. Are you <laughs> sad now? Do you feel better because of your sad? I don't. So this ugly fucking diamond. <laughs> David Warner plants it in Jack's coat pocket. So he's been framed, which is cool, because you rarely get to see that happen to a white guy. But we're treated to a lot of scenes of, of people trying to evacuate the boat, which we know is going to sink anyway. I mean, it's futile, but I guess it's necessary. If you're going to tell the story of the Titanic, you know, you got to say, yeah, it, it's sank. But keep up the drama. Right. But the sinking is really just a backdrop for this tired, shit-sucking love story. <laughs> the ship officers arrest Jack for stealing the, the, the necklace, and he's handcuffed to a pipe. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just cause fuck. <laughs> this poor bastard's maybe had three happy days his entire life, and now he's chained to a sinking ship. <laughs> That's fucking dark. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rose's mother's up on the deck going, will the lifeboats be seated according to class? Piece of shit. I just wonder why? Why are rich people? Right. <laughs> and, and, and do they all act like that? Oh, my God. It's hilarious. Anyway, Rose refuses to get in the lifeboat because, you know, she does what she wants. So she goes off to search for Jack, and she tells Billy Zane, I'd rather be his whore than your wife. Good line. Mm-hmm. Good line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, credit where credit's due. Little tiny. Fraction of a point for that. So now the movie just becomes a race against time to save Jack. And... Now is when it really becomes a James Cameron movie. This is an action flick now. And it's his type of action flick. It's video game. 
<laughs> narrow, narrow halls, flickering lights, a pervasive threat. Where's the key to Jack's handcuffs? Oh, well, before you can do that, you need to find Jack, then find help, and then go back to Jack. And if you can do it all without using a save point, then you'll get unlimited ammunition. <laughs> the hallways are fucking flooding, and Rose is trying to get back to Jack. And while she's... <laughs> While she's trying to make her way through the through the corridor with all the water coming in, I I, I just I just kept hearing I just kept hearing Anima Batul in my mind. <laughs> yeah, learn to swim. I wish I'd thought of that. That would have made that more enjoyable if I'd had like that soundtrack going in my brain. But oh, it's painfully slow, and she's painfully inept. But she does actually manage to get him free from the handcuffs. Takes her long enough, but yeah, she does. She cuts him with an axe with one swing. One swing. So apparently she's got she's got some upper body strength that I was not aware of. Guess so. All the boats are gone, filled with rich women and children. The string section keeps playing while the boat sinks. Everybody's trapped by their own class, like it's a floating snow piercer. And Rose doesn't want to leave without Jack. Billy Zane doesn't want Jack to leave at all. So she leaves Jack and Billy on the deck. Billy tells Jack he's getting off the boat. He's going to leave Jack behind to die when the boat sinks. And it takes them 20 minutes to lower Rose's, or the, the boat that Rose is on, to the water. Like, this is the longest fucking scene, I think, of the entire movie. It, it takes forever for this fucking boat to sink. It does. Rose, who's, I don't know, a bit of a twit. She jumps back onto the Titanic. Yep. To be with Jack. I would be so pissed about that. Yep. You know, if I were Jack and she came running back, I'd just be like, what the fuck? You had a chance to escape and you went back onto the boat? Jack Coles are stupid, and he's right. However, there's another big bad at play here. <laughs> it's not just the encroaching ocean. It's not the iceberg. It's not poor engineering it's not even the, the class warfare where the stewards of the boat basically lock all of the people in steerage down at the bottom they won't open the gate and let him out no it's billy fucking zane loses his shit he is not just crazy he's insane oh my god he's got a gun and he chases Rose and Jack through the flooded ship, shooting at them. It's nuts. It is a totally fucking bonzo move. And that just weirdly makes me love him even more. Oh, just because he's just... Bleh. But when Billy realizes that he's accidentally given Rose the diamond necklace, that's in... He, like, he gave her his coat, and the necklace was in the pocket of the coat. He is so frustrated, and the looks on his face are are just magical. That man is a national treasure. <laughs> you're, you're making me a little nauseous. You realize this, right? Well, I, I'm, I'm not responsible for your reaction. <laughs> All right. Anyway, fuck. Then Jack and Rose have to rescue a child. It's like an immigrant newt because please throw more shit into the fray. Water comes rushing down the hallways like blood from the elevator in The Shining. They're trapped, and then they're not trapped. And 
oh, they might have a chance, oh, they don't have a chance, raising hopes, lowering hopes, and this is the stuff of drama, and I realize that. I'm a writer. I know how this shit works, but there's an overdose of layering. Serious here. overdose, yeah. And Cameron does this a lot. You ever put so much peanut butter on a sandwich that you can't chew it and swallow it hurts? <laughs> this is a lot to swallow. Accurate. Billy Zane tries to get to a lifeboat, but he's surrounded by poor people. Uh, he ignores a crying child. <laughs> Piece of shit. He's so fucking evil. Yeah, but even worse, he goes back and grabs the fucking crying child and lies and is like, please, she's all I've, I'm all she's got in this world. That's how he gets on a fucking boat. Oh, if only he had like a mustache to twirl and railroad tracks to tie Rose too. He's, oh, what a gem. Meanwhile, the architect of the ship stays behind. The captain goes down with the ship. Even the fucking string quartet stays behind. So you've got a lot of gallant deaths here, but none of them are actually brave. Resigned, maybe? You know, it's like an easy out. It's a way to escape blame or the media or the court system, but these people aren't brave. Yeah. And finally, finally the ship goes under. And it has taken fuck all forever for this to happen. I mean, the fucking Poseidon struck an iceberg and it flipped upside down in like five minutes. <laughs> We're not that lucky. Uh, nope. Billy Zane's lifeboat's still tied to the ship when it sinks, so he jumps up like onto the edge of it, holding onto a rope, basically hurling everyone else off of it. Because mm -hmm. he's a bad motherfucker. And then when the boat hits the water, he starts knocking people away from it with his oar. <laughs> yeah, he does. <sighs> oh, hey, remember we were talking about uh, Jack's friend, Fabrizio? I can't even say it. <laughs> it sounds like a fucking fabric softener when I say it. Fabrizio. Fabrizio, for the beginning of the movie. Yeah, he gets crushed by the stern of the ship. Yeah children drowned and people being flattened freezing in the Atlantic Ocean are you happy now? <laughs> is this, this is what you came to see right? Is your PG-13 bloodthirsty heart full yet? Look at all the pretty things breaking we know how this part of the movie ends it's not a spoiler to say the Rose climbs onto a headboard and uses it as a raft Mythbusters proved there was room for Jack on it too but fuck it! <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> you know Jack dies she says she won't let go of his hand, but she totally does. Yep. Bye, Jack. Bye. Watch him slip underwater to his briny grave. Is that what you wanted? Is that what you needed? Do you secretly yearn for a love like Jack and Rose's with frozen hair and blue <laughs> lips? Also, Rose, when she's freezing to death, she looks like Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> she does. She's got some lovely blue lips and gray skin best part of this whole sequence Billy Zane lives yeah that fucker <laughs> makes me laugh then we get to end the movie you know hearing about what pieces of shit human beings are like we didn't know that already well, that's, from, that's from old Rose yeah where she's talking about out of 20 lifeboats that were nearby only one went back and everybody that had gone into the water had already died, except for her, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, she's been practicing this story for a long time. <laughs> and you can tell. I mean, she's just been waiting for an audience. 
Well, she spent her whole goddamn life up to that point not telling us all about it. I guess. I don't believe that either. Anyway, Rose, she gets to America and she changes her name and she lives out her life. And she says, he exists. Talking about Jack. He exists now only in my memory. And that's what the feral kid said about Max at the end of the Road Warrior. So here's a question you and I both came up with. What if she totally made Jack up? Yep. What if she is old and crazy and just made up this incredibly complex lie? <laughs> just to maybe assuage her guilt for being, you know, one of the few people that actually lived through that disaster. Just an extreme case of survivor's guilt. It's 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 possible. Yeah. So here's the shitty part. And this is like an assumption that we make about old people in movies is that they're actually, you know, nice. They do the right thing. They're essentially good just because they've lived this long. (laughs) That fucking old woman. Fucking Rose had the damn diamond necklace the whole time. Had it with her. And what does she do with it? she chucks it into the ocean. Chucks it into the fucking ocean. That's selfish, and that's fucking weird. <laughs> and you and you touched on this earlier, and this is what I thought of, but Jack didn't give her that damn thing. Her lousy fiancé did. Mm-hmm. Why would she keep it? Or even better, why wouldn't she sell it? Here's this thing that a man tried to kill me, and he gave this to me as a gift. I think I'll hold on to it for 90 years. <laughs> and then she dies. Yep, she dies. And we get to see her spirit join Jack on the fucking Titanic with all the dead people, and they kiss. She's always been the caretaker. Yeah. As it does, it looks like that fucking picture at the end of The Shining. It does. And then they play that fucking song over the credits and finally it's uh, finally it's fucking over three hours and 14 goddamn minutes of this shit now here's the thing that you may or may not know about me I won't get personal just for a like I never do that <laughs> <laughs> I cry at the drop of a hat I do commercials whatever you know but I sat through Titanic just stone faced I felt no emotional attachment to this movie at all. And I've cried during pregnancy tests. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this this forces me to ask, what's the appeal? Why are there memes about Jack and Rose? Why is our concept of a great love something tragic? What is wrong with Happily Ever After? I'm telling you, I have to think. The Titanic is a way for people to enjoy watching a slaughter without having to see blood and guts. It's acceptable. There's no stigma to it. It's safe. That's why there are Titanic museums with icebergs out front in the parking lot. Places where during the tour you're given the identity of an actual passenger on the Titanic, on a car, you find out who you were, what you did, and most importantly, whether you lived or died. And this is the perfect example of what I was trying to say in the Steel Magnolias episode about the formation of death cults. As humans, we have a tendency to lionize the dead. 
That's why you go into stores and you find posters of the 27 Club. Hell, it's even, it's even called the 27 Club. Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, all these people dead at the age of 27. We do this. We exalt these people for dying at a young age. I don't, I don't get it. Wow, what kind of music would they be making if they were still alive? <laughs> well, probably shit. They'd be sitting in Rick Rubin's garage doing acoustic covers of five-figure death punch songs. So Titanic, by sentimentalizing and at the same time trivializing this real-life tragedy, capitalizes on that. Oh, Jack. Oh, poor fictional Jack. The death of one is a tragedy. The death of hundreds is $2.187 billion box office in the U.S. alone. Now we finished. Well, we're not finished, but before we continue, you're up to buy me a drink. Oh, we should do tomorrow. Keep drinking. Have a bloody merry first thing. I'll bite the king's head, couple of the little princess, stagger back in. <laughs> back at the bar for shots. How's that for a slice of fried gold? So what drink would you buy me? <laughs> well, you know what? I actually looked this up. You're going to be impressed. There is a drink called an iceberg. I looked that up too. <laughs> did you? I did. <laughs> and this actually sounds like something I might like because it's got tequila in it. Let's see. Uh, ice, tequila, lime juice, triple sec, orange juice, simple syrup, and you actually pour all that over a beer. It's the iceberg margarita. Yep. That is exactly the same thing I was going to buy for you. That is so funny. Awesome. We should totally get around or seven. Uh, we, we need to. The margarita floats on top of beer to resemble foam of beer. <laughs> That's what the recipe says, man. I can't make this shit up. <laughs> Garnish with lime and enjoy. <sighs> Sounds good to me, man. I like any drink where I have to rim a glass. <laughs> Dirty fucker. Well, Jesus, uh, what do we eat after this? Can we, or is your stomach all cramped up with bile and hatred? Oh, no, I'll eat. Maybe some frozen jackfish. You're terrible. You knew that when you married me. Let's check in with Chef Al up there in Halifax and see what he has whipped up for this episode's Dinner for Two. This meal looks quite delightful, Betty. Oh, it's just something I threw together, that's all. Well, shall we dig in? so hungry so i have seen a picture of what you have created um for this episode and i know that there, i know i know that there's more besides just the recipe for tonight but before we get into all your storytelling madness 
Explain to me what you have done here. What? I guessed uh, one ingredient correctly. Titanic um, seemed there's uh, again these sort of movies are actually harder for me to cook for because if you do like cursory, there's entire cookbooks that are based on like the last meal of the Titanic. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's really fetishized and it doesn't give a lot of room to maneuver in terms of like actually interpreting things on your own because there's all kinds of documentation as to stuff that actually was like served on the boat and and I'm really not interested in that, doing that. So, so uh, uh, I thought, well, I'm just going to cook something that I want to eat, and I will figure out how to tie this in after the fact. Um, but uh, going with boats, so like putting something in a boat of whatever form, uh, is a typical cooking kind of a thing. Like a gravy boat? A gravy boat, or like one of my more popular brunch items is a bread boat. Um, that's basically, it's almost like a self-contained fondue thing. So I, I wanted to do a, a kind of boat vessel, uh, which in this case is basically like a, a, a double-fried eggplant. It's almost like doing like a, a twice-baked potato, except I'm using eggplant instead. Yeah. So basically, good. it's it's pretty good. Um, so get like uh, traditional, not like going with an Asian eggplant, but like the the big ass like European uh, veggie tales, Christian symbolism uh, eggplant. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Yes, salt or not salt. Uh, eggplants are basically like big ass sponges. Um, they're Sometimes you need to salt them because they're like so bloated full of liquid you need to get that out so that you can cook them properly. Sometimes you don't because they're fairly dense. So what you need to do is kind of like cut into them and see how they're looking. Uh, for something like this, when you cut something in half, it's not exactly like a seed pod, but you can kind of like see in the middle where the seeds are clustered. Um, what I did here was go in with like a grapefruit spoon, cut all the seed bits out so that you have sort of like a trough. So it's kind of like if an Oprah hysterectomy? <laughs> Jesus. Well, it's not quite as labor-intensive as that, but uh, <laughs> the principle's roughly the same, but you also don't need a uh, pressure washer. <laughs> Good to know. I'm not going to get sued for that, am I? That's like a fair use thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're fine. We're okay. Totally fine. Oh, good, good, good. Glad we clear on that. Um, <laughs> so, um, and, and at this point, I go a little bit like a Chinese cooking technique uh, with this, and I'm going to do a, um, a a cold oil fry on on this sort of like gutted eggplant trough, where basically you put the eggplant in oil. I use a deep fryer. You're more than welcome to use like a a uh, cast iron pot with uh, whatever kind of oil in it but you, you you submerge the vegetable in the oil while the oil is like at room temperature and then you slowly increase the increase the heat on it until it starts to cook and does, okay now ignorance hmm. coming up here but does that not make it greasier than it would be normally yes and no okay um there, there's a bit of a, a bit of a cooking myth that's understandable 
the sort of orthodoxy is you have hot oil, you drop something in it, it's less greasy than if you had it in a colder oil. And that's sort of the thing that's based on observation. So like French fries, we'll use that as an example. If you cook potatoes in a relatively cold, hot fat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a warm fat. Yeah. Um, the, the perception is that they will be, they will absorb um, less grease because of that. That's not exactly true. You can see that from the appearance because they will come off as greasier because there's, there's going to be oil and grease on the outside of it. So you, that's where that that kind of thinking has come from. Um, what the actual the, the way thermodynamics actually works is that like if the oil is really really hot and you put something into it, uh, it's a, going to absorb more grease, but it's not going to come off like that because it'll be like crispier on the outside because it actually has absorbed more oil. Yeah. It's not Okay. It's not going to okay. be perceived that way. That's one of those. It's you know. It's one of those things that like uh, spectrometers have proven the the uh, the myth of that. However, an eggplant, yeah, that's a little bit different because they are extremely spongy and they will absorb anything that you put into it. Yeah. But then there's but then there's also osmosis, so it can only absorb so much of something before it then starts to push it out. Mm-hmm. So you you're really not. It's not like you're going to be eating like a half a pound of Crisco. <laughs> it's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so once the eggplant's taken on a little bit of color like that, take it out, let it dry off a little bit, let some of that oil come out. It's gonna the the initial like nice shape of it, it's gonna like slump a little. Don't worry about it. Let it cool off. Everything will be fine. So while that's kind of like going and setting up i make a little filling i'm going a little bit mediterranean kind of thing with this just a little zucchini uh sweet bell peppers some italian style uh hot peppers um garlic i'm going through all the usual stuff here um a little bit of basil and uh cherry tomatoes i'm just going to saute those up really quickly just until they're like like nicely softened when you're ready to serve the whole thing, just basically uh, take your pre-cooked uh, eggplant shell, dredge it in a bit of uh, like some kind of a seasoned flour, pretty much like whatever you feel like. You don't even have to use like uh, like wheat flour. You can use you know corn flour or whatever. Just something with a little bit of crisp, and that's you're going to want to fry in like a really hot oil, just to get it like a nice uh, and crispy exterior on it. You take your sautéed vegetables, put that into the middle part, and uh, for my purposes, I just finished it with uh, a little bit of grated parm. And threw that in the oven and let the whole thing kind of like set up together. And so, so there's your like um, Titanic uh, mishmash. It's steerage. And I was sort of in a semi-Italian frame of mind. And the optional sauce that's on the top is a um, is sort of a play on a tonnato or a uh, Italian tuna sauce, which is one of these like totally counterintuitive sounding things. It's really hard to describe and make it sound good, but it's basically like a creamed tuna sauce, um, sort of a, I don't know, like a Isle of Alba 
um, shit on a shingle, creamed beef kind of a thing. <laughs> but the basic, it's almost like making tuna salad as wrong as you possibly could. <laughs> so it's basically like a really lemony mayonnaise uh, with oil poached tuna. And th that was sort of the genesis of canned tuna. Um, nowadays, most of the canned tuna that you get is packed in water for this kind of a thing you do want one that's packed in oil just because the fish is much more tender it's not going to be as flaky and you're going to be able to kind of dissolve it um, so you would uh, at home probably the easiest thing to do would be to get like a small Italian style can of tuna and oil probably about an equal amount of the mayonnaise of your choice uh, give it a good extra hit of garlic um, Probably not raw, unless you really enjoy burping. Because uh, <laughs> I'm not going to judge, you know. Right. That could be a thing. Uh, a good extra hit of lemon and blend that up together. Uh, that, that, it, it's a sauce called the tonnato. It's traditionally in Italy served with like cold veal, which is not something that you generally run into. I think it's a nice all-purpose sauce. You can, it, it's just a good way of like getting a sort of a protein kind of a note into things that otherwise don't have it. Totally optional. You don't really need to do it with this dish. Hmm. I think it sounds good though. I do too. It was nice eating. Yeah. It looked really. It looked really pretty. Oh. And we'll have and well well and we'll have that picture up on the on the Kiss to Go website where where we have all of your recipes. Yummy. Pictures and stuff. So, Titanic. Mm. We after after we watched that <laughs> thing. Um, sorry, I'm still a little bit traumatized. <laughs> but we um we, we were trying to figure out precisely where the Titanic sank. Right. And that was up by it was up by you, wasn't it? It's pretty close. Um, Newfoundland, uh, which is a province of Canada now, but at the time that the Titanic went down, it was its own sovereign state. Um, it only became like a Canadian province. Oh, God, I'm going to get in trouble for this, I think, in around 1963. I might be wrong on that. The Titanic sinking has a bit of a tie uh, to Nova Scotia, we, there is a cemetery where a lot of the unclaimed dead uh, from the Titanic going down are buried, which largely thanks to the Cameron film is still a tourist attraction to this day. So when we get cruise ships into the harbor, we're invariably faced with uh, lots of people asking where the Titanic bodies are. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, 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 wait people get off a cruise ship to go find out where other people who were on a cruise ship died? Yep. <laughs> There's some serious like uh, high-test Schaschenfreude going on there, eh? <laughs> no kidding. Uh -huh. Death cults. Death cults, y'all. People are fucked up. <laughs> um, it's funny because it's like something that's always been like, I grew up here um, it was always here, but then all of a sudden this movie came around and like all kinds of people are interested in this stuff that we just kind of like took for granted and didn't really think too much about. But uh, and it's been going on for years and years since. So tell me the story, which you told me a little bit about 
um, kind of offline last week about a rap party. Oh, okay. Well, this was fairly famous. Um, and, and this... It's so famous I've never heard it, so let's <laughs> <laughs> let's enlighten everyone. Okay, so um, James Cameron didn't exactly endear himself to a lot of people around here. He was famous for some of his quotes like, who do I have to fuck to get a fucking taco in this town? Um, and he's from, like, Ontario. It's not like he's really got any business uh, big-timing people, but he, he was a divisive figure, you can put it that way. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the film scene in uh, Halifax was, like, pretty thriving around this time. There was a lot of, uh, a, a lot of things being shot here um, around then. And because of that, there were a couple of like industry entertainment bars that were you know kind of scene story places where people would go to possibly see folks like Tom Selleck or Malcolm Moriarty this kind of stuff uh right kicking on, around right anyway yeah. one of these bars they had the rap party and uh, <laughs> at this rap party the traditional Nova Scotian seafood chowder was apparently spiked with PCP um <laughs> Oh my god! Which caused a lot of people to wind up in the hospital and a lot of like freaking out. Now, that old chestnut. Yep, that, that's one of those little raspy subs I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but it's an option. <laughs> now, is this mainly crew or was this also talent? Uh, as far as I know, this was a combination of the two, because I, I know there were definitely some tech people involved, um, <laughs> including one heroic figure who had done enough PCP to knew, know what was going on, <laughs> so he was able to advise the emergency uh, department at the hospital as to what was happening. Um, oh, there's always one. Huh? <laughs> But in a weird way, this had a um, sort of tangential connection. Not a, I, I don't want to say to me, because I wasn't directly involved in any way, shape, or form. But it involved someone that I knew. And the levels of irony involved in this are quite delicious. Um, so when I was a, a teen, a young teen, um, being raised by my uh, single mom, we lived in a flat uh, that was in this uh, cooperative housing kind of development. And uh, our upstairs neighbors were this couple that were this very funky, like, bohemian couple. Um, so uh, there was a woman who was, you know, very artsy, uh, something almost like someone you would expect to see out of, like, something like Annie Hall. And her husband was um, sort of a history buff and collector uh, who, their flat was fantastic. Like they, they had the, I remember distinctly their, their Waterloo collection where he was using uh, lead miniatures to recreate the Battle of Waterloo in their hallway. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he had all this crazy memorabilia and uh, was quite an avid collector of stuff. And this, you know, um, 
like I would have been about 12 to 16 in this so we would have been in like mid 80s um so after I had lost touch with them um this is when this was all pieced together but he actually had quite a large uh titanic uh memorabilia that he had uh, amassed over the years um so he and his partner uh opened a catering business and for seed money for opening this uh he sold off a lot of his memorabilia including his entire uh titanic collection and that became their seed money for opening a kitchen getting like a uh a food transport truck, this kind of stuff. Anyway, he was caught up in this whole PCP rap party scandal, uh-huh. uh, which led to him going out of business. And oh, no. Losing. Oh. But then the Titanic movie came out, and his collection of Titanic stuff, and my memory is really shoddy on this, it was under $1,000, if I remember correctly, that he sold everything for. The movie comes out. His exact lot went up for auction after the movie <laughs> and sold for wow. like ten to fifteen thousand dollars. Oh no! Wow. Yeah. So he just got fucked six ways from Sunday because of that movie, huh? Absolutely. Totally bad timing. Wow. Yeah, I don't have like a moral lesson to dig out of that. It's just when I how about it, how about Jim Cameron destroys everything that he touches on a personal level. That's well, that's kind of a reoccurring motif, eh? <laughs> I think so. Ugh, ugh. I'm going into this like I hadn't. I had deliberately not seen this movie before. This was Makes one. Sense. I I had a policy. Um, there's a number of like high profile movies I've never seen, and as someone who is a movie buff, that's probably you know that's more of a personal failing on my part, I guess. Uh, but I call the phenomenon giving it giving a movie the gump, <laughs> and that yes, I've never seen Forrest Gump. And Neither have I. That was one of those ones I knew I could never see. When back in the day, there was a Siskel and Ebert special show about the cultural phenomenon of Forrest Gump. Oh, God. And even at a young age, I realized I could never watch this as a movie. This is now some like weird cultural artifact that I could only respond to in that way. Yes. And I had to walk away and and never watch it. So from then on, there are like a series of movies that come out that I know I can never give a shake to as a movie. And I, I've always slotted those into the category of giving them the gump. And Titanic has been one of those. So sorry, Al. Well, that, that, that's fine. I mean, it has to happen at some point, right? Like, um, and I feel better for having done it, but a lot of my expectations were met. And it's not bad. Like it's, it's kind of apropos of, you know, it's a great opportunity to revisit some of the strong progressive female characters that James Cameron is only capable of delivering onto the world. Right. (laughs) Yep. Vacuous socialite bimbo. Um, All these parties make me want to (sighs) die. 
Uh, I like Victor Garber. Oh, yeah. I always like Victor Garber. Yeah, he's like very much a, like a Canadian that guy. Like, mm-hmm. if you grew up watching Canadian public television, you would see him all over the place. So it's like nice to see him getting a good paycheck. Um, um, Cootie had a stark realization while she was watching Titanic. Yes. Oh, yeah. It took like, what, three minutes? And I was like, holy shit, is that Theoden? And sure enough, it was Theoden. <laughs> I had to go to IMDb because it, it actually you hadn't gotten like a close up of him yet. I just saw him like standing up on the, you know, on the ship doing the, the pre-launch checks. And was him. I was pretty excited. I love that guy. <laughs> so that was something. Yeah. It's I was like the, the most excited I was about anything in that movie other than, you know, the final when it was finally fucking over. But <laughs> It was kind of like, hey, he was in a really shitty movie. I'm glad he was in a good one. Yeah. yeah it's, like, it's like, good for you. <laughs> you came out of that all right. You leveled up. Uh-huh. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, was this film not actually, I don't know if this is true or not, but was this movie like longer than it took for the actual Titanic to sink? It took, I think they said it took two hours for the Titanic to sink. It took... 45 minutes for Bill Paxton to put his earring in. <laughs> and and then there were the credits. Oh. So yes, this movie took longer to watch than it actually took the Titanic to sink. That should be a lesson for us all. Um, oh, oh, it is. I'm taking it to heart. One of the most prominent Canadian thinkers of all time, Malcolm, Malcolm McLuhan. Um, I'm not going with a medium as the message thing on this, but McLuhan's theory of simultaneity, I think is perfectly realized in this film and perfectly explains why it was the success that it was. And that's basically, it's a bunch of stuff that doesn't really have any particular meaning or position, but it could mean anything to anybody. Like, is this movie a romance is this movie a disaster story? Is this a movie about naval engineering? Um, maybe, maybe not. It, <laughs> it's like a big soup of potential things it could actually be about, but it's not actually about any of them. So it gives like an audience free range to narcissistically throw whatever they want to onto it. There are many teats to which one could attach themselves mm. to this film. Mm. There you go. I didn't attach to any of them. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand, I understand the second part, but that's about it. <laughs> it sure was expensive, though. Oh, they they made their money back. Two hundred billion. Yeah. Crazy pants. Wow. Yeah. So never it's... underestimate the. Uh... <laughs> The public and what they will enjoy. It's all about the pseudo pan flute Celtic soundtrack thing. <laughs> I've already about yelled myself hoarse over that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I feel like this may be our longest show in the history of Kiss the Goat. But you know what? We won't know that until we finish it out. 
And we can't finish it out until we ask Aunt Goatee. You talking to me? What do you do? What's in the fucking box? Does he look like a bitch? What's the boogeyman? Did you see the memo about this? Is it true that there is a place in a man's head that if you shoot it, it will blow up? You want to ask a question of anyone on the show? You got four ways to do it. Join the Facebook group. Leave us a voicemail at 865-309-4969. Send us an email at thegoatofmadness at gmail.com. Visit our website, kissthegoat.com, and use the contact form to send a message. I feel like this part usually takes a lot longer. It does. Well, all right then. Let's get into the questions. Our first question is from Joe Banks. He asks, Dear Aunt Goaty, I'm entering a new relationship and am curious as to how to broach the subject of my lifelong interest in the occult with my other. Outwardly, I'd say I'm normal in appearance, i.e. non-goth, so she has no clue at all so far. Advice? What kind of music you play in the car? <laughs> because she'll pick up a lot more about the person you are by the music you listen to than she will by your haircut or having visible tattoos. So start with that. Start playing some, some darker music. While you're at it, dinner maybe, order something kind of weird. You know, cheeseburger. Something like that. <laughs> Just little hints. Just little hints. That's really all it takes. By the time you get three or four months into the relationship, she will have figured it out. And if she digs it, she'll stay. And if she doesn't, Sacrifice for later. That sounds like good advice to me. And I think, you know, a lot of times I think that I'm pretty good at fitting in with the straights and people don't really know that I'm into the shit that I'm into. And then once I like make friends with somebody that I've been, you know, hanging out with and thinking that I had fooled, they're like, yeah, you didn't have me fooled at all. So she may already know, man. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, I don't know. What do you do? Just come out just come right out and ask her, Hey, do you know how fucking weird I am? <laughs> see, what, see, what, see what that gets you. Our next question is from Matt Tangent, our favorite angry ginger. And he asks, Dear Aunt Goaty, I was wondering your opinion on anal probing. Is it perpetrated by aliens with ill intent, or should I just relax and accept the intergalactic love? Well, damn, dude, I say anytime you can get a good anal probe, that's that's a Saturday night right there. Just roll with it. Right? They're not leaving anything up there. They're just checking. And look at it this way, too. I mean, if there was something wrong with your prostate, they'd tell you. I gotta think that's right. I mean, yeah. they're, already, they're already up there, right? So, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, just, you know, deep breaths, brother. Deep breaths. Relax. That's the key. <laughs> That's right. Relax. <laughs> oh, let's see. Jay Fountain has a serious issue. Dear Aunt Goaty, I was bitten by a radioactive spider, and so far my only superpowers have been rapid hair loss and plummeting T-cell count. Am I doing it wrong? I'm not positive that was radioactivity. Yeah, you, uh, you might ought to get yourself checked out, brother. Yeah. Um, there are tests for that. I don't want to say anything because I don't want to jinx anything, but there are <laughs> tests that people can do, um, for people in your specific 
situation. So that's that's our suggestion. Clinic. Clinic. Here's a question from Jeff Jancic. He asks, robots? Why not? I don't have a better answer. I mean, I, mean, I guess it depends on what, what you're doing with the robots or what they're doing, but, you know. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't ask that. He just. He just wants the robots. That's the whole question. Yes, Jeff. Robots. Yes, absolutely, robots. <laughs> the Don chimes in with a question. Donna Nelly asks, "Dear Aunt Goaty, is it wrong to go for your girlfriend's mother if she's hotter than your current girlfriend and will take it up the ass, but is a confirmed agnostic and won't go to coven meetings with you?" There's a lot of ass play in this episode. <laughs> there's a there's a theme. <laughs> Fascinating. We have an we have an anal theme. Well, this is the right place for that. <laughs> um, is it wrong to go for your girlfriend's mother? She's hotter than your girlfriend, and will take it up the ass. But as a confirmed agnostic, eh, you know, there's nothing wrong with an agnostic. They're pretty open. Well, I think I, I think he's concerned about the coven meetings too. I don't know. Here, it it, it depends on how how faithful you attend the coven meetings. I mean, are you there just like every single time or do you just show up for the cross quarters? Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like a Baptist just going to church for <laughs> Easter and Christmas. So depends on how serious you are about that. But girlfriend's mama, that's kind of a, that's kind of a weird situation. But if you can set your girlfriend up with somebody else and then date her mama, I think that's okay. That, yeah, I think that, that might work out. Yeah. Get that nut, son. I mean, <laughs> do it. Do that. Do that's it. a definite, um, that is an advantage. Mike Merriman asks, dear Aunt Goaty, mess with the bull and you get the horns, but what do you get when you mess with the goat? Uh, horny. Cheese. Essentially both. Yeah. Yeah, milk. Milk. <laughs> horny. Horny milk. Horny milk. Horny milk. <laughs> I don't even know, dude. Maybe just either. just try it out and see. And then, you know, yeah. let us know. Maybe you'll get an anal probe. Nice. Let's see. Oh, hey, you know, we started with a question from Joe Banks, and we're going to end with a question from Joe Banks. Dear Aunt Goaty, do you even? No, but we often odd. <laughs> like very much. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and acolytes, we have done it. We went to hell, and all you got was this lousy podcast. But we had fun, didn't we? Fun? Fun? No, we didn't have fucking fun. We drank an entire handle of rum during Still Magnolias and didn't even finish the fucking movie. I had to work the next day. I didn't have fun. I've had a hangover constantly for almost the entire month. Thanks to Bo at Legion Podcast for everything he does, keeping all these shows going and building the finest podcast network on the web. Yeah, you know, you made me watch Sex in the City. That whole movie is like two and a half hour long menstrual cramp. Do you have any idea what that's like? No, you don't, testicle boy. Don't forget to visit our website, kissthegoat.com, for old episodes, recipes from Chef Al, and our merch store, Wear the Goat, where you can find all sorts of stuff related to the show. Be a proud acolyte and get your goat on. And 
you ruined my childhood crush on Patrick Swayze. You ruined Dirty Dancing for me with your statutory rape and carny comments. Why would you do that to me? I thought you loved me. And most of all, thanks to you, our listening audience and acolytes. You are really the ones who keep us riding on this peace train. Titanic was over three fucking hours long. Some people aren't even in labor for that long. Join us next time for our 50th episode. It's kind of a big deal. We'll be dropping more information on that in our Facebook group. Until next time, my name is X. And I'm Cootie. Draw Draw me me like like one one of your your French French girls. girls. We're never doing this again. Do you hear me? Never. Never, ever, ever. I get it. Major point. Never! All right, fuck, we're done. <laughs> so glad. Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>